0: Hello, I'm your host, Anna Donino, and welcome to episode 18 of the Crime Bistro Podcast. This show gazes into the thrillingly twisted world of true crime, examining real cases while we share in a passion for crime and coffee alike. For this episode, I am enjoying a hot cinnamon coffee, so grab yourself a fresh brew and let's get into the disturbing case of Chris Watts. In the summer of 2018, Chris Watts and his then-wife Shanann had just discovered they were expecting a son to join their four-year-old Bella and three-year-old Celeste. They lived in a suburb of Denver, a town called Frederick, Colorado. The lives of the couple centered around their daughters as they were balancing Chris's job as an operator at Anadarko Petroleum, and Shanann's frequent business trips for a nutrition supplement company called Lavelle. Outwardly, the two appeared to be a happy family, but Shanann had been telling her friends about some trouble in the relationship between her and Chris, and despite this, no one could have ever predicted the horrors that were about to unfold. In 2010, Shanann was living in Passaic, New Jersey, but she later moved to North Carolina where she and Chris connected through social media. She had received a friend request from Chris on Facebook, and she explained this later saying, quote, I was like, what the heck, I'm never going to meet him, End quote, and she accepted the request. She followed this by saying, quote, "One thing led to another, and eight years later, we have two kids. We live in Colorado, and he's the best thing that's ever happened to me." End quote. Chris and Shanann were married on November third of two thousand and twelve in Charlotte, North Carolina, and they gave birth to their first child, named Bella, on December seventeenth of two thousand and thirteen. Their second daughter was born on July seventeenth of two thousand and fifteen, another young girl who they named Celeste, lovingly nicknamed Cece. And Shanann absolutely loved being a mother. And her obituary later praised her dedication to her children, saying, Shanann was so excited to have her first baby girl. She spent every minute thanking God and taking care of her precious gift that the Lord had blessed her with. End quote. And it went on to read, quote, Oh, how Shanann was so excited to be able to have another child because of her battle with lupus. She was determined to stay healthy, and with her love for Celeste, every moment with her was a blessing. End quote. Shanann and Chris did start experiencing some financial issues, and in June of 2015, the couple did file for bankruptcy. In 2014, they had a combined income of $90,000, which was further strained by credit card debt, student loans, and medical bills. In their filing for bankruptcy, they stated that their $3,000 mortgage and $600 car payments took up most of their $4,900 in monthly expenses, and their homeowners association had also sued them for unpaid fees. Fast forward to the year 2018, Shanann was very active in posting about her life to her Facebook page, and she shared many videos, one specifically on May 5th where she went on Facebook Live saying, quote, I love waking up now on Saturdays and being able to enjoy my family, end quote, and she also talked about being excited for the upcoming Colorado summer. On June 11th of 2018, Shanann surprised Chris with the news that they were expecting another child, which she did record, and in the video she was wearing a shirt that read, Oops, we did it again, and he did have a fairly flat reaction to the news, saying only in an unenthusiastic voice, quote, that's awesome, end quote. Despite Chris's underwhelming reaction, Shanann posted a Father's Day message on June 17th to Facebook saying, quote, Chris, we are so incredibly blessed to have you. You do so much every day for us and take such great care of us. You are the reason I was brave enough to agree to number three, End quote. The message was heartwarming. However, it was also in June of 2018 that Chris began to talk to a woman named Nicole Kessinger. She worked in Anadarko Petroleum's environmental department. Chris stopped by her office and started up a conversation one day, and they had their first meeting outside the office later that same month. Their relationship moved very quickly, and they were seeing each other four or five times a week, and they started a physical relationship in early July. Chris told Nicole that he was almost divorced, and later that month, when Shanann and their daughters were traveling to visit North Carolina, he told her that the divorce had been finalized. The first time Nicole visited Chris's home was July 4th and their first on-record phone call happened on July 7th. They would go on dates while Shannon was out of town and on July 30th Chris left a love note for her before joining his family on vacation. There was tension starting to brew between Shannon and Chris, despite Shanann trying her best to keep the relationship intact she just could not ignore the emotional distance that was developing between them. While Shanann was visiting family in North Carolina, she texted Chris, quote, I realized during this trip what's missing in our relationship. It's only one-way emotions and feelings. You don't consider others at all, nor think about others' feelings. I try to give you space, but while you are working and living the bachelor life, I'm carrying our third and fighting with our two kids daily and trying to work and make money, end quote. Soon after, she asked him for reassurance, saying, quote, If you are done, don't love me, don't want this to work out, not happy anymore and only staying because of kids, I need you to tell me, end quote. Chris replied to tell her that he wasn't only staying because of the kids, saying, quote, They are my light and that will not change. I don't want to erase eight years just like that. I'm not sure what's in my head. I don't know if it's my parents, the third pregnancy, if I'm just scared or what, end quote. Shanann confessed to some of her friends that she thought Chris was having an affair and that she intended to get full custody of their children in the event of a divorce. She also ordered a relationship book called Hold Me Tight, which Chris threw away without opening. On August 4th of 2018, Nicole Kessinger's cell phone data showed that she had been looking at wedding dresses for two hours just weeks after the two had started their relationship And as if that didn't show how serious she was about him, on August 8th, she did a Google search about, quote, marrying your mistress, end quote. On August 9th, Shanann left on a business trip to Arizona, texting a friend of hers that she and Chris had had their best talk yet before she left, and she even drafted a handwritten letter to him. However, on August 11th, Chris got a babysitter for the kids, and while he claimed he was going to a baseball game with some co workers, he instead went out to a bar with Nicole. The day of August 12th was just like any other Sunday, Chris and the girls watched cartoons and went to Target to pick up a gift for a birthday party. They had some cold pizza for lunch and they went to that birthday party, which Chris said was a quote, epic time, end quote. However, this would be the last day that they would spend together as a family. Shanann returned from her business trip on August 13th at around 2am, and later on the same morning, Chris claimed that he woke her as he was getting ready to go to work. Later that day, Shanann's friend, Nicole Atkinson, became concerned when she hadn't heard from her after several calls and texts. Shanann had a doctor's appointment that morning related to the pregnancy that Nicole was planning on driving her to, so it did raise alarm bells when Shanann couldn't be contacted. Nicole Atkinson also noticed that her shoes that she always wore were still at the front door, so she decided to call 911, and Shanann was reported missing at around 1.40pm. Shanann was 15 weeks pregnant at the time and she hadn't been feeling well, so Nicole knew that the appointment was something that she would not just miss. Nicole Atkinson called the police to do a welfare check, and upon arriving, police found that Chris Watts was not there, and when they called him, he said that he was about five minutes away. This immediately raised suspicion for the police, since it is expected that a husband who receives a call from police officers outside his home and are concerned for the safety of his wife would give the officers permission to enter the home immediately, but Chris did make them wait until he got there. They found that Shanann's phone, keys, and purse were still at the house as well as her car was in the garage, and Chris told them that he had absolutely no idea where she had gone. Police were immediately suspicious of Chris with excellent reason, especially regarding his behavior at the home. When he entered, he did not immediately call out for Shanann and he didn't seem to be in any rush to let the officers inside. He also appeared to be trying to avoid eye contact and conversation with the police once they entered the home and he looked to be texting on his phone. He was asked by an officer if they were experiencing any marital issues to which he was honest saying, quote, we're going through a separation, end quote. However, he also said that it was civil. In the body cam footage from this initial interaction with police inside the home, something in particular really stood out to me. Chris makes a point to tell the officer, quote, all the girls' blankies are gone, they're blankies they sleep with, they don't leave anywhere without them, end quote. This struck me because it sounds like Chris may have been trying to set up a cover story immediately and be trying to claim that Shanann just left with the girls due to the friction in their relationship. There was also an incredibly creepy moment in the body cam footage when a neighbor who knew Chris on a semi personal level said to the officer, quote, He's not acting right at all. He's never fidgety. He's never walking back and forth. He never loads his stuff in and out of the garage ever. End quote. The surveillance footage from that morning showed only Chris leaving the house after loading some unidentified items into his truck which was completely detrimental to Chris since there was no footage of Shanann or the kids ever leaving the home and yet they weren't there. The day after, on August 14th, Chris agreed to be interviewed by two separate news stations and he talked to Denver's ABC affiliate begging for the return of his family, saying, Shanann, Bella, Celeste, if you're out there, just come back. Like if somebody has her, just bring her back. I need to see everybody. I need to see everybody again this house is not complete without anybody here please bring them back it has been noted by many that he seemed extremely detached from the situation during these interviews and he was called in for official questioning only 4 hours later during questioning chris told the interrogator that he woke shanann up at about 4:15 a.m. and that he had a conversation with her about selling the house and proceeding with the separation and he said that she had decided to respect his decision to leave the relationship. In this version of the story that Chris told, all he had done that day was go to work and then return home when he got the call from police. He was also adamant in the interview that he had never cheated on his wife, which was a lie, however, the officer actually already knew that when he asked. The deleted correspondence between Nicole and Chris, which he thought could not be recovered from his phone, were able to be accessed long after they had been deleted. On August 15th, the FBI joined the search for the missing family. The police force in Frederick consisted of only 20 officers, so the search did expand quickly to include the Colorado Bureau of Investigation and the FBI. Chris took his polygraph test at 11 o'clock a.m. on August 15th, He was given a directed lie test, which means that there were specific questions on the test known as control questions, where the administrator instructed him to lie in order to get a more accurate baseline. Chris did fail the polygraph test, and while they were discussing the results, Chris denied that he had been at all untruthful. In response to this, the administrator used what is known as the futility technique, telling Chris that they already knew he was lying about his involvement with the disappearance of his family so there was no point in him lying any further. Chris's first admission was that he lied about being unfaithful to Shanann, and his partial admission of guilt was to his father while they were alone in the interrogation room, saying, quote, She hurt them, and then I killed her, end quote. Chris admitted that he had killed Shanann, however, he falsely claimed that the reason for this was because Shanann had smothered their daughters and he had killed her out of anger, At this point, his story was that he told Shanann he wanted to separate and had then seen her smothering Celeste over the baby monitor while Bella was lying on her bed completely blue. Despite not admitting to killing his children, he did admit that he had disposed of the three bodies at his worksite, however. And in a story that disgustingly attempted to undermine Shanann's love of her children, his claim was that after their, quote, emotional conversation, end quote, she had lashed out and killed their daughters as revenge it was on august 16th that the bodies of chenan bella and celeste were recovered at chris's worksite in a heartbreaking manner the two young girls were found in oil tanks while chenan was found nearby in a shallow grave on that same day chris appeared in weld county court for a bond hearing which he was thankfully denied on august 21st of 2018 Chris Watts was charged with three counts of first-degree murder, plus two additional first-degree charges for victims being 12 or younger. He also faced another count for unlawful termination of a pregnancy and three more counts of tampering with a body for a total of nine charges. On September 1st of 2018, a funeral was held for Shanann and her daughters in North Carolina at the Sacred Heart Catholic Church in Pinehurst during which Chris's name rightfully was never mentioned. The trial process proceeded very quickly, and Chris appeared in court on November 6th of 2018, where he pled guilty to all nine counts, and Shanann's family requested that the death penalty not be sought for him. He was sentenced to five total life sentences without parole on November 19th, as well as 48 years for unlawful termination of the pregnancy and 36 years for disposing of their bodies and Judge Marcelo Kopka called the murders, quote, perhaps the most inhumane and vicious crime I have handled out of the thousands of cases that I have seen, end quote. It was also on this day that Shanann's parents filed a wrongful death lawsuit against Chris, which they did win almost a year later on November 18th of 2019, where he was ordered to pay them $6 million for the deaths and for the severe emotional pain he inflicted, while they will most likely not receive any of this money, this will prevent Chris from ever profiting from the murders in any capacity. The Wells County District Attorney released a 2,000 page document known as The Discovery, which essentially outlined all of the prosecution's evidence against Watts. This included correspondence between Chris and Nicole Kessinger, who had contacted the local police herself to disclose the affair. The two had used an app to communicate called Secret Calculator which allowed them to store private messages and photos sent back and forth. Interestingly, Nicole was also found to have conducted a Google search about whether or not people hate Amber Frey, and Amber Frey was the mistress of Scott Peterson, a man who was convicted of killing his pregnant wife Lacey Peterson in 2004. She had also begun searching for news about Shanann's disappearance after the murders but before the bodies were discovered. This also showed that on August 13th, the day of the murders, Chris called his daughter's school and told an administrator that the kids would no longer be attending there. He also called a realtor that day named Ann Meadows with the intention of selling their home and downgrading to something smaller. Chris was originally imprisoned at the Denver Reception and Diagnostic Center in Colorado but the Colorado Department of Correction transferred Watts to a prison in Wisconsin called Dodge Correctional Facility. He later said this was because he feared for his life in the Colorado prison where other inmates had been threatening him. And finally, on February 18th of 2019, Chris gave a five-hour interview from prison where he did confess to killing his entire family. He said that morning they had discussed the affair and Shanann told Chris that she had already known about it Chris said that he felt, quote, more guilty than ever before, end quote, and that he told Shanann their marriage was not going to work. Shanann replied to this by telling Chris that he would never see the kids again, and he strangled her to death in their bed because of this. Their daughter Bella entered the room and asked what was wrong with their mom, and Chris wrapped his wife's body in a blanket, putting her in the truck with the kids in the back seat. He drove them all 40 miles to his work site where he smothered Celeste in the back seat with a blanket and put her body into an oil tank, then doing the same to Bella, placing her body in another tank. This confession was especially disturbing to investigators, not only because of the horrifying details, but because he failed to give an actual motive for the crime. What seems to be the most likely assumption is that Chris wanted to start over with Nicole Kessinger and that he decided permanently getting rid of his wife and family was somehow the easiest solution. A fresh start with no messy divorce, no child support or custody arrangements. He had found a new life that he wanted with Nicole, and the only way to get it in his mind was to put a complete end to his old one. He did tell investigators at one point that he never would have thought his marriage to Shanann was bad if he hadn't met Nicole and started that affair. Though this motive has not been confirmed by Chris, this is the assumption that is made by most who are familiar with the case. And while simple, it is horrifying to imagine how someone could justify ending the lives of two children and their pregnant mother just to save himself the trouble of filling out some divorce paperwork. It's hard to even begin to imagine that decision process, considering that he had a full 45 minutes while driving to where he buried Shanann while his daughters were still very much alive in the back seat. 45 entire minutes to change his mind and spare their lives, but he did not. As if there weren't enough disturbing aspects to this case, another detail is still just as horrifying, and it is that since 2018, Chris Watts has been receiving fan mail in prison. In regard to this, police have said, quote, The letters consisted of personal letters from people asking to be pen pals, some media requests, and a couple of hate mails. Nothing of evidentiary value can be drawn from the correspondence. End quote. It does, however, show a darker side of human behavior and an unhealthy obsession with true crime. Many people, clearly myself included, find the world of true crime fascinating, however those people approach the subject out of intrigue for something that is nearly impossible to understand. Learning about the fascinating psychology of crime is not wrong, and it is very important for cases to be reported on and learned about so that the families of victims can share their stories and get justice and support. The people who write these letters to Chris Watts represent a much more sinister interest in his murders and are downplaying his horrific actions in a sense, and that in my opinion will always be incredibly inappropriate. The most recent news of this case came in 2021 when David Carter, a former fellow inmate of Chris, told the Daily Mail that Nicole Kessinger, who changed her name and moved following his conviction, is still writing to Chris under a new name. David Carter said, quote, he told me she said that she needed to speak with him to clear some things up. He wouldn't tell me exactly what she had said, end quote. And this is really hard to confirm without knowing Nicole's new name. However, if true, it would be alarming that they are still in contact. Though police firmly believe that Chris acted entirely on his own, there is always the possibility that Nicole knows more than she ever let on. This case is absolutely horrible in all of its details, and unfortunately in such a situation, there is almost no closure or resolution to be had. For the most selfish of reasons, Chris Watts stole away the lives of Shanann, Bella, Celeste, and Shanann's unborn son, with the only comfort being that he will spend the rest of his life in prison, and that his attempt to blame the children's death on Shanann was entirely unsuccessful. Shanann will be remembered as an amazing mother, and that is the most justice that really could have been served considering the circumstances. This was a completely preventable tragedy, however, there is one thing in particular that I think we can all strive to take away from their story. This circles back to Shanann's friend, who became concerned and alerted police immediately, and the first time that police arrived at Chris's home when the neighbor noted to police right away that something was wrong. Quick action when we think that something isn't right can be the difference in any case, and here it was a large part of the reason that Chris's lies fell apart so quickly. It is a paramount in true crime, but any small piece of information can be crucial, and if you ever come across a situation where you may have something to share, speak up, no matter how insignificant you think it might be. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Crime Bistro Podcast, and if you're interested in learning more about the Chris Watts case, all of the sources are listed in the show notes at CrimeBistro.com. If you have an opinion of your own to share, feel free to head over and visit the podcast on YouTube or on Instagram at CrimeBistro Podcast to leave a comment and see some behind-the-scenes updates on the cases to come. With that, this story's coming to a close, so thanks again, and as always, until next time.